I hope you have your Bible nearby. If so, go ahead and take your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 2 as we continue in our series, Unstoppable Joy. We're at the end portion of Philippians chapter 2 today. This is the key concept. Work out not for your salvation. Work out not for your salvation. Let's talk about workouts. How are you doing in keeping fit during this stay-at-home order? What are you doing to try to keep fit during this stay-at-home order? Sylvia and I, we walk every day. We've done that for years. We just regularly take walks, and uh, we've noticed that as we're doing our usual walks, we've never seen so many of our neighbors out and about, riding bikes, taking walks, playing games in the street, the kids playing ball. Uh, we're seeing that happen more and more these days, and ordinarily, that's not the case. Ordinarily, people go to the gym for workouts or they have other routines, routines to try to keep their bodies in shape. And maybe you do too. I was reading recently uh, about some research that was done at York University in Canada. It has some disturbing news about that. They conducted a test involving 129 people, so not a big sample. But each person was asked to either walk or jog on a treadmill at speeds that were rated either light, moderate, or vigorous in their intensity. And at the end of the, the experience, they were asked to report about their workout. But the researchers, you see, were not really testing how well the people did on the treadmill. They were really testing how they reported what they did on the treadmill. And what they found was this. The vast majority of people overestimated the amount of exercise that they really got on that treadmill. For instance, they reported a, a vigorous workout when actually they expended only moderate energy. So there were two problems that come to, to be noticed here. First of all, it's obvious that many of us don't do what we should do by way of exercise physically. But the second problem is those who do think they're doing more than they really are. And that relates to our passage this morning. As it comes to spiritual work and our spiritual workout, we must not inflate the spiritual work we do towards our own growth in discipleship, but we must engage the work. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it. Chapter 2, verse 12 is where we're going to start. You read along as I read out loud. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I might, might boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. We're still in chapter 2 of the book of Philippians, and last week, in the beginning of chapter 2, we saw Jesus uh, as the great example of humility and service in action. But the truth is, it takes more than an example outside of us to change us. Examples 
inspire us, but they do not enable us. We need to make good choices on our own based on that example in order for change to take place. Our choices enable us. And Paul is calling us to choose to work out our faith in Jesus Christ. It's notable that Paul starts this paragraph with the word, therefore. In other words, verse 12 throws our attention back to what happened earlier in the passage that we just covered. Since we have this great example of humble obedience in Jesus, we saw that last week, and since this has led to his exaltation so that one day as we stand before him, Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we will give an account of our service for him. Therefore, the implication is, for here and now, work out your salvation, says Paul, in fear and trembling. Now, I emphasized in the key concept, work out does not mean work for. He's going to give us advice here, but his advice is not how we can earn our salvation and one day be with God. We don't earn our salvation. That is given to us as a gracious gift through faith. The people that he's writing to already are followers of Jesus Christ. In verse 1 of chapter 1, he calls them saints. They are the, the people inside the family of God. But the term that's translated work out when he says work out your salvation means this. It means work it to the full, work it to completion. It's like work a math problem all the way to where you get the solution. As a matter of fact, in the first century when the Apostle Paul is writing these words, this term that we translate work out was used in the mining industry. And it was used to describe the process of getting everything of value out of that mine. Don't leave things behind. Work to a finish. And so he's saying, don't stop in the transformation that Jesus Christ is accomplishing in your life. Don't stop in what he is doing. Cooperate with his ministry and get every inch of change that he wants to accomplish in you. One thing that we don't pick up in the English as we read this translation is that the Apostle Paul is actually using plurals here. In verse 12, when God, he says you, you should work out your salvation, the you there is a plural. It's like y'all. Y'all should work out your salvation. And so the point is this. God has a plan for each of us to grow in his grace. And each of us is a part of the, the church family together accomplishing that. We do it individually, and as we do it, we grow together as the family of God, and we all benefit as we all grow up in his grace. And Paul says that we should do that with fear and trembling. The words there are phobos and tromos. You can almost sense the translation. You should be fearful of not working out your salvation. Why is that the case? Why are we to be afraid? Christ is standing exalted right now, Paul has said earlier in the chapter. One day we will be before him. Now we don't fear losing our salvation. That's a gift of grace that God gives us forever. But he's saying that we should fear squandering the moments squandering the opportunities that God presents 
us so that we can serve him well while we're in this life. We don't want to squander the, the chance that he gives us to, to be working in and through us to bless those who are around us. One author puts it this way. God has assigned each of us to the present, to the moment. That means every moment carries a place of choice. We should be afraid to choose poorly. And thus, in each moment as we are walking in our faith for Jesus Christ, we should be asking ourselves the question, what's the assignment here? What's the assignment now so that I don't miss the moment that God has given me? Look at verse 13. It says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. We are saved by a work of grace, and we grow by continual grace. But in both situations, we must cooperate with the grace that God offers. At first, we say yes to the salvation that he offers us, and he graciously saved. And then we say yes to growing in that grace and, and being changed and transformed through the Christian life. And when we do that, he says, you will be working for God's good. And the NIV translation here is purpose, God's good purpose. But some of you have a different word in the translation you're looking at. For some of you, the translation is, you work for God's good pleasure. And that's actually a better translation. The New American Standard Bible has that translation there. Because, because it has two senses to it. You are doing that which God wants you to do according to his pleasure. But when you do it, you bring pleasure to God. You are able to, in a sense, make God happy as you work out your salvation. That reminds me of a, of a, a situation I remember when our girls were small. Uh, we tried to teach them, both in action and in words, what it's like to live a life that's filled with love and to show love, what that looks like. And many times uh, when they were small, we would treat one of the girls to something that they wanted. Maybe it was a toy or maybe it was an experience, activity, something like that. And we would always ask the question. It was always the same question. It was, do you know why we're doing this? And the answer was always the same as well. Because you love me. As a matter of fact, that became so expected and so repeated that eventually when we would say, do you know why we're doing this? The answer would come kind of like, because you love me. And in a very exasperated kind of that question again sort of way. But then the, always the response was this. Yes, and when you love someone, you want to make them happy. That's basic. That, that's where it all begins. Now, I realize in a complex and sinful world, those pure words could be dangerous. And, and later, as they grew, we had to give them a bit better and different life lesson uh, that some people might take advantage and they need to be wise and those kinds of things. But it all starts there. A loving person wants to bring pleasure to the object of their love. That's an essential truth. And it's also basic in your relationship with God. Working out your salvation is doing what makes God happy by serving him as your master. Not only do you accomplish what he wants done, but also you bring pleasure to him. Who wouldn't want to do that? Who's a child of the king? 
And so how do you accomplish that? What is he actually calling us to? Well, we need to move on to verses 14 and following to find that. But what you'll see here is what Paul does not do as he set up how to, our calling to work out our salvation. He doesn't go on and give us a list of tasks. In fact, what he talks about is attitudes. And in that list of attitudes, there's only one task that he mentions. Let's read it together, starting in verse 14. He says, Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you might become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. These are the things that we must do to, to work out our salvation. And the first thing is serve him without complaint. An attitude that rejects a complaining spirit. Because the critical heart, the grumbling heart, the complaining heart is a prideful heart. And in this chapter, we've seen the example of humility. It's all weaving together. We must banish pride. Complaining is an element of pride. But as I observe the landscape of relationships and the way that we live, it seems to me that complaining has become what I'll call a sanctified sin. What I mean by that is it's a sin that we allow to occur, something that we engage in with no hint of remorse and we, we listen to without a sense of something's wrong. One man has put it this way. It is a rare person that even when his cup runneth over can thank God instead of complaining about the size of his cup. That's a complaining spirit. How about it? When your cup runs over, do you complain that the cup must be too small? Complaining has become a sanctified sin. People around us may not object to a culture of complaint, but God clearly objects. And note with me the high standard that Paul sets here. He does not say, try hard to do most of the things you do without complaining. He doesn't say most at all. He says, do everything without complaining. And he doesn't use the word try. He says, do. It's almost as if he's speaking like Yoda in Star Wars. There is no try. Do. Do reject complaining. That reminds me of the context of one of our favorite verses. This is probably one of the top 10 of everybody's favorite verses in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The same apostle, the apostle Paul, pens these words, and he says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. What a great assurance. The assurance that there is always a way out when temptation comes our way. There is a, 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 an opportunity for us to escape that sin. But what's striking to me, and oftentimes we miss, that in that passage, the sin that he's specifically referring to, that's up in verse 10, above verse 13, is the sin of grumbling and complaining. You see, God objects to a grumbling and complaining lifestyle. And he sees that as sin. He promises that he'll give us a way out of that and any other temptation that comes our way. So what is the way out of a spirit of complaining? Well, it is submitting. It is supporting. 
It is encouraging. It is patience. It is peacemaking. If there is a proper need, something that needs to be addressed, it is done in love in an orderly way with someone that can do something about the issue, not just pooling our grievances. Complaining disrupts unity. It discredits testimony. It harms the work of the Lord, and it simply makes our Heavenly Father look bad. That's why Paul cares about it so much. I wonder if you've ever been driving and in the back seat you've had a few uh, school kids, small children. And as you drive them to an event or something, you take them, you listen to the conversation in the back seat. You know what? You can learn a lot, a lot about a family by listening to, kids, to the kids' conversation in the back seat. You can learn a lot about their parents by listening to the conversation in the, pack, in the back seat. I heard a, of a man who was driving some friends of his son to the Awana program at church. And as they were coming to the Awana program, uh, one of the children uh, who was a friend started using foul language. Well, the father pulled over. He talked to the children. He said, listen, we don't use that kind of language in our family. You can't use that kind of language in our car and so forth. And they went on. They had a great evening. But the next week, the father met the father of that boy. And it was clear where the little boy got that habit. Now, your heavenly father is perfect. But if his children, the followers of Jesus, have a complaining and griping spirit, it's a black mark on the father. Don't complain. But secondly, Paul also warns us against disputing and arguing. Do not always be at the throat of one another. Don't always argue and insist on your way. I remember a story about a man who came home after work one day and he and his wife got into an argument and it went around and around. It wasn't making any progress. They, they thought maybe they had it solved and just when they thought that something was said or some look was given and it started up again and it was going around and finally the, the husband just said, listen, let's just start this evening over again. Let's roll back the tape and pretend I'm just getting home. We'll start afresh. And so that's what he did. He literally went outside came in the door, literally said, honey, I'm home. And his wife responded, what? Why in the world are you just getting home at this time of the night? Well, she just didn't get the, the program there, or maybe she was in a bad mood. But when we are like that, when we are argumentative and disruptive in that way, we are like what Paul calls the warped and crooked generation in which we live. That's a dark place. And we are meant to shine. Look at verse 15. So you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. As we work out our salvation in the way that Paul describes, we become blameless. In other words, our actions and our words will not be the fodder for scandal or rumor. As we work out our salvation in the way that Paul describes, we become pure. It's not just an outer perception. That we, there's an inner reality that changes. Our attitudes and our thoughts are altered. Our desires begin to change. And the real, the real us is affected by this spiritual growth. Banishing complaining and arguing will change you on the inside because those are deeds of pride and pride is a cancer that hinders your spiritual growth. 
But when you cast pride away, it creates room for the Holy Spirit to expand his influence inside of you. The result, says Paul, is purity on the inside, blamelessness on the outside, and you make your heavenly Father look good. And you shine like stars in a darkened world. And how do you do that? You shine as a star as you hold out the word. Let's look again. Verse 15. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. It's as we hold out the word of life, the gospel of Jesus. This is the issue. See, he's saying this. Christians don't blend into the darkness Dispel the darkness instead. A contrast is called for between you and those who don't know Christ. And Paul uses the image of stars that shine brighter as the night gets darker. And as I was reading this passage, you know what popped into my mind? The street light that's in front of my house. The street light that in, that's in front of my house is light sensitive. Or maybe I should say it's darkness sensitive. As the sun sets, the street light comes on and it shines. And in doing so, it dispels the darkness in front of my home. And that street light works with a string of street lights that are up and down my street. And, and as you go out of the reach of one of those lights, you move into the illumination of another light. From one area of light to the next area of light. We are to be like those lights. Brighter and brighter as a society grows darker and darker. Because we live in a dark place. And how are we to react to that darkness? Paul says it's not by complaining about it. It's not by arguing amongst yourselves about it. But it's by turning up your own brightness and shine for Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus used this exact image. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking and he says this. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. As we live the way that God wants us to live, we shine. But there's only one task that the Apostle Paul talks about in this context, in Philippians, about how we shine. There's just one thing. There's many ways we do that. But Paul, Paul comes down to just one here as he writes to the Philippians. He says, you shine by holding out the word. In verse 16, as you hold out the word of life. That's the one specific task that we are asked to do to work out our salvation. This is what he mentions. You don't, you're not supposed to hold out and radiate forth your own ideas. It's not about you shining out into the world. This image is to put forth the word of God and the truth of God. Now, actually, some of your Bibles have a different translation there. Once again, uh, your Bible may say, as you hold on to the word of life, as in grasping it tightly. The New King James Version says, as you hold fast to the word of life. I'll be honest with you, the translation could go either way. It's kind of a 50-50 call. But I think that the NIV gets it right. 
hold forth the Word of God. You have to be grasping it to hold it forth. You have to be holding on to it to present it. But that's what we're called to do. We're not shining if we're just protecting the Word. We are to shine forth the Word, to make the Word the issue. The bottom line is, this is what we proclaim, what we have in the Word of God. The message is not about us. It's not about the latest psychological fad. It's not about the, the latest theological, you know, hobby horse or, or some false version of the Word of God. It is the full counsel of God, the Word of life, that has to be what we present to the world. And as we are pressing the Word forward, it is the source of truth that will change the world. This is the only specific worth, uh, work that Paul mentions here. This is what we are to do as we work out our salvation together. This is our job. Press forth the Word of God. And as you do it, rejoice. Go to verse 17. Paul writes, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I want you to remember where Paul is working out his salvation. In this context, he's in a Roman, under a Roman house arrest. And at this moment in his life, Paul does not know what the outcome will be. For all he knows, this might be the end of his life. That's why the imagery of being poured out like a sacrifice kind of invades his thoughts. But nevertheless, he says, I have joy. I rejoice in what's going on. You see, there is a twofold joy that comes to the person who works out their salvation in the way that Paul's been uh, describing to us. There is a future joy. Paul referred to it in verse 16 as he talked about the day of Christ. There's that future joy when we will be with Christ, when we will stand with him and acknowledge him as Lord of all. And the redeemed will have the gain that we are moving towards in glory. But there is joy here and now. It's not all about just the next life. There is joy now. Even though the road sometimes is hard, we can be joyful in the fact that we know that we are part of what God is doing in the world. We can be joyful in the fact as we work out our salvation, I am living the way that God wants me to live. I am in the center of His will and I feel His pleasure. That is joy. Do you know that? Have you experienced that? I mean, bottom line, for everybody watching today, ha have you just floated through life, just kind of drifted into your place, choosing at each decision point the path of least resistance every time a decision has come up? Or have you actually sought the will of God? Have you sought to understand how God has made you and designed you? I want you to know this. A drifting Christian, even though they be of Christ, will lack joy. But the Christian who faces every moment with the question, God, what's the assignment here? What's the assignment now? I want to work out this salvation. That believer will experience joy. Joy here and joy to come. But for some of us who are watching this this morning, I know that you don't have that. And you don't even hope for that. Because right now what you miss 
is a relationship with Jesus Christ, that first gracious step of forgiveness. Paul talks about being with the Lord. He talks about salvation. And the, the reason he talks about salvation is because salvation is real. We are saved from an empty life now and an eternity in hell. But we are saved to forgiveness and a new life on earth, promise in heaven that follows, and the way to all of that is through Jesus and his forgiveness and love. You enter that experience which brings you joy through faith. And that faith is simple. It's believing that Jesus did what he said he would do. When he went to the cross, he took your place and he took the punishment that we deserved on himself. He earned the forgiveness that he offers to you and we receive it as a gift. And when you receive it, everything changes and it always changes and it changes for all who say yes. Romans 10:13 says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, Jesus is still preparing people for eternity today. And he's still giving people a life of meaning and purpose today. He is still calling you to say yes to mercy today. And Jesus called all of that, saying yes to that, being born again. You know what that simply means? It simply means starting again, but this time with God, repentant before him and walking by faith. All of this comes as you turn to Jesus and ask him to give what he has earned for you. And maybe some of you are ready to do that. And if you know you need to do that, the reason you know it is because the Holy Spirit is prompting your heart. And you express that faith in a prayer. So let's do that right now. But everybody who's watching this, uh, uh, this cast, go ahead and just bow your heads and close your eyes. Let, let's all pray together. But for some of you, I'm going to say words that express a prayer of faith that you pray on the inside, knowing that you need what Jesus offers. If that's you, pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I need you. I do believe that you died on the cross and paid my penalty and that you rose again and today you can wash me clean. So Lord, forgive my sin. Be my savior. Let me start again this time with you and enable me to be pure as I seek to live for you. Heavenly Father, as I continue in prayer, I, I don't know who prayed that prayer, but I know that it is your heart desire that there be those who say yes to that faith, who move into that relationship. And Lord, I pray if there are those who did that today, that they would know that something is changing on the inside. And I pray that they would begin this journey of working out their salvation. And Lord, I pray for all those believers who have been tuned in to this webcast. And, and as we've heard the word of God and been challenged once again to continually be changed, I pray that we would rededicate ourselves to do what you call us to do, to be who you call us to be, 
enable us to live for you in a growing and, in, and, and increasing way and give us joy as we do it. We rejoice in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer to receive Christ as your Savior today, I would like to send you this booklet. It's entitled, Now What? Living Out Your Christian Faith, just filled with good ideas and practical advice about the next steps of your uh, Christian faith. And, and uh, if you've done that and you want this, I'll send it to you. But in order for me to send it to you, I need to know where you are. And so we accomplish that this way. Uh, you can text the word faith. That's the word faith to 209 257-8768. And when you do that, we'll respond to you with a, with a form that asks for some contact information. And when you fill that in, I'll send you this booklet and uh, we can get started in this journey with Jesus together. And I look forward to doing that. That's the word faith to 209-257-8768. Well, now we have another chance to worship in song. Let's do just that. Amen. Well, in the spirit of Mother's okay. Day, I wanted to share a song of gratitude for mothers young so and old. Be the close now. Just okay. tell you um, that you are appreciated more than you can ever uh, imagine. And so I hope the words of this song bless you. Um, I'll try and get through without being emotional. <laughs> but uh, I'm just so, uh, so grateful um, for my mother um, that she raised uh, um, a son that uh, I hope will uh, make her proud. So I pray that you're blessed by these words. So. Thank you for watching over me All of the sleepless nights you lay awake Thank you for knowing when to hold me close when to let me go thank you for every stepping stone and for the path that always leads me home i thank you for the time you took to see the heart inside of me you gave me the roots to start this life and then you gave me wings to fly And I learned to dream Because you believed in me There's no power like it on this earth No treasure equal to its worth The gift of a mother's heart sunlit day that fill the corners of my memory thank you for every selfless sun sung deed I know you did for me thank you for giving me the choice to search my soul till I could find my voice and I thank you for teaching me to be strong enough to bear You gave me the roots to start this life Then you gave me wings to fly And I learned to dream Because you believed in me There's no power 
treasure equal to its worth the gift of a mother's heart I thank God for the gift of a mother's love. I'm closing today's service with a saying that comes from the rural South, and it applies to us maybe more than ever before. The saying is this, wash your hands and pray, because both Jesus and germs are everywhere. That's absolutely true, and it's good for you to do that this coming week. Thanks for being with us. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. I thank God for the gift of a mother's love.